0: This morning's reading is Philippians chapter one, verses 12 to 26. Now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, shall I choose? Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Thanks be to God for his word.
1: Thanks, Elaine. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we come to reflect on your word today, as we become to ask for your your presence with us, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open this word to us and open our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the questions that this passage asks me is this, what, what do we live for? What do we really live for? And if you're wondering what you really live for, just ask yourself some of these questions. What drives you? What gets you up in the morning? What do you spend most of your time thinking about through the day or worrying about through the day? That's probably a good guess to what you live for, what you're about. The answer will be different for different people to different degrees. It might be your job. Lots of people live for their job and their work. Other people live for their families. Other people live for their holidays. And maybe at the moment, as we begin this October week, that's what's in our minds. Some folk live for relationships. That's the most important thing to them. Romantic relationship or friendship. Others live for a political cause. Others live for an organization or even a church that they spend their time and their commitment to. None of these are, are bad things. But the problem is that very often they become the thing the ultimate thing in your life. And that raises lots of other questions. What happens if you fail in that field? What happens if it's taken from you? And even if those things never happen, do you constantly live with the fear that you won't succeed, that things won't be right in that sphere of whatever drives you? Therefore, there's insecurity And something which you think is good, which is giving you satisfaction, can quite quickly become something which enslaves you. To use a a really concrete example, some people live for money. J.D. Rockefeller, who had lots of it, and you might see as a a big success, he was a millionaire or a billionaire, was once asked, how much money is enough? Rockefeller's reply was, just a little more. That sense With whatever we live for that we are never satisfied it seems to give us satisfaction but actually it's never right if you're house proud if that's your big thing then constantly you're looking for that last bit of dust aren't you or getting the perfect garden or whatever else it is what do we live for what should we live for as christians In the passage that we read, Paul gave a very clear answer to that. Chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Now I want to unpack that a little bit later. But just notice this, what Paul is saying here. I've got something to live for. And that Christ is shorthand for the Christian gospel that I'm proclaiming, that I'm living for. The Christian church, all these things. To see God's word spread. That's what I'm living for, says Paul. And you know what? If I die, I don't lose. There is nothing else that we can say is a win-win. There is nothing else that might be the driving thing in your life which you can ever see. And even if I don't get it, I'm still a winner. Can you imagine anyone seeing that about money? Can you imagine anyone saying that about relationships? You know, I'm going to strive for relationships and friendships in my life, but if I end up lonely, you know, that's okay. Nobody would say that. Or a political cause. This is what my life's for. But you know what, if you lose every election, it wouldn't, it, it, it wouldn't knock me. Or football. Well, no, people do that with football in Scotland, don't they? But, um, yeah, that idea of a win-win gain. I want to suggest to you in three different ways today that if we commit our lives to Christ if Christ is not just something we believe but actually is what is driving us then we have immense freedom freedom from woes freedom from competition freedom from the fear of the future Paul starts this passage by saying this he says in verse 12 now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel now let's just stop and remind ourselves what had happened to Paul we've been following this in the book of Acts and now in the book of Philippians he's been arrested in Jerusalem He spent two years in jail, going through various times of trials and up before various Roman governors. He then went on a journey to bring him to Rome when he appealed to the emperor. You'll remember the story, he got shipwrecked on that journey, the the, the, the boat was blown along for for two weeks. He ended up on Malta. If you read the whole story from the end of the book of Acts, you'll know he got bitten by a snake. And then he ends up in Rome, and there he is in prison in Rome. Now, it must have been the most frustrating thing for Paul to be in prison in Rome. This is a guy who's traveled all over the world talking to people. Some folk like their own company. I don't know what you're like, but I'm someone who who actually likes to be around people. I thrive on it. To be stuck, well, we know a wee bit of this in lockdown, don't we? But to be stuck in a prison cell when you're that type of person, when when, when, when you're driven by wanting to talk to folk and have discussions and share things, this lion is caged i want you to know what has happened to me says paul perhaps you you go and visit somebody who's in trouble and they start to say to you i want you to know what i'm going through now in some ways that can be good we should be people who share one another's difficulties with one another but have you ever gone to visit someone, and every time you meet them, that's how they start the conversation? I want you to know what I'm going through, and you go, "Oh gosh, I'm in for half an hour of your your bunions and your problems and your everything." And every time I see you, I'm in for the same thing. You know those type of folk. I, I, you know, I, I love them, but sometimes you go and visit, and you just it's so draining because there's going to be nothing bright about what they're talking about at all and if everything was going right in their life sometimes they would still find things that were problems I want you to know all I'm going through and out comes a sense of of negativity of failure injustice and you're sitting there talking to them and you're trying to point out something that's actually going right and they just keep coming back to all the problems and all the woes Paul could have related that to the Philippians let me tell you all the things I'd planned to do I'd planned to visit here and go there and share this and do that and plant a church there all these dreams I had and they're all shattered because I'm stuck in a Roman prison cell I thought I might be here for a week or two and then I'd get to speak to the emperor and, and he'd become a Christian and everything would be excited but here I am two years later and I'm still in chains and all my friends have left me and only Timothy's there and it's all terrible But Paul didn't do any of that why not? Because he wasn't driven by a need to succeed. He was driven by a love for Christ. So look what he's able to do. Verse 12, 13, and 14. Let me just read it again. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard And to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What he's able to do is look at the things around him that are good, that God is using, and to rejoice in them. You know, one of the people who makes me think a lot about life just now is Donald Trump. No, I'm not about to confess that he's my hero. Don't worry. But gosh, is he a character study for preachers. Here's a guy who is a success, so he tells us. His whole life is based on being a success, isn't it? Every word is telling you how he's the biggest, the greatest, who's done the best things and the most perfect this and the most perfect that. But you know what Donald Trump's life tells me is that actually what we've got before us is a very, very insecure person. I've got a theory that the tax returns that he doesn't want to show anybody aren't because he's been fiddling his taxes. They're because he wasn't making any money. And he doesn't want us to know, actually, that he's not the big success that he thinks he is. But I think within all of us is an inner Donald Trump. We are very insecure about being found out to be a failure in whatever thing we live for. So if family's your big thing, you're very insecure about actually people might know that you're not a perfect parent. If money is your big thing, then you're a bit afraid that people might know that you haven't got it. it doesn't matter what it is that you're successful, and if it's being a good person is your big driving force, you're a bit afraid that people might find out that you're not really that insecurity. Paul in the prison cell, you see, has a perfect security. He's able to say, I do not need to boast in all the wonderful things that I'm doing or tell you about all the ways that I couldn't do them, and it's not really my fault. It's because of these awful circumstances. I can just rejoice in what God is doing right now where I am. Rejoice in the Lord always, or as Paul writes elsewhere, in each circumstance that I find myself And What is God doing? Well, here's the thing that he can look at. By being in prison, the Christians in Rome, as they see that, and there were a few of them, are becoming bolder. If Paul can go through that, if he can be arrested and go through all those trials, maybe we can. Maybe we can speak out for our faith. The gospel is proclaimed. He says wherever I am he's sharing with his guards and I I can imagine as he's writing that to the Philippians that sitting there in Philippi is the Philippian jailer remember him from Acts 16 who got converted and he's saying yeah I can imagine how Paul's behaving in prison I remember these awful songs when he sang in my prison and I remember the impact it had on me and I imagine now the impact it's having where he is just now in fact if you read to the end of this letter chapter 4 verse 22 he just slips in at the end oh by the way the Christians in the emperor's household say hi where did they come from those Christians who and I wonder it was because Paul was in the prison cell in the emperor's household that that's exactly what was happening you see Paul is freed from the worry about failure he doesn't need to focus on the woes he doesn't need to have a success driven ministry to be able to see What God is doing I I think in churches this is really important one of the problems when we sit as a church and we start to say how are we doing is we write the big lists of all the things we used to have a thousand people and we used to have this and we used to have that open our eyes ask a different question what is God doing now and if that's what gives us joy and satisfaction then rest assured because God is always doing something there will never be a place where we say God is doing nothing and therefore there is no joy because God is always at work because it is his work so there's the first thing if Christ is the thing that drives us not the success of the church not how many people we've converted but Jesus then we will have that complete security doesn't matter whether it's going well or badly we can rejoice where we are and the second thing is, is is freedom from competition you know we've just had exam results and we've heard a lot about those in scotland recently haven't we exam results are okay because they come in as grades and you know how your child's done but as a parent one of the, the the problems is sometimes a child will come in you say how did you do and they say i got 63 And you're sort of scratching your head because you, you don't know whether to say, well done, or, or that's dreadful. <laughs> and so what you're really wanting to ask is, how did everybody else do? Isn't it? I, I, we used to get marks back when I was younger where they had the class average on them. And the parent really knew where you were, whether you were a dunce or, 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 or a genius. You see, we live in a society which tries to tell us we shouldn't be competing against each other. But we are immensely competitive we're always looking at everybody else to see how they've done one of the reasons we feel rotten half the time is we look at how other people are doing and what other people are getting and and how their life's turning out and and, and it leaves us feeling bitter and aggrieved because we're not getting the same treatment we're not achieving the same things wherever we are in life when ministers meet together we've started being quite careful because one of the troubles when ministers meet together and somebody says why don't you share what's going on in your church everybody tells the best story of the most successful thing they're doing and it can be great you can say oh that's what God's doing in all these different churches or you can go away thinking oh gosh we're not doing very well I must be a bit rubbish And I'll bet you in any walk of life, it's the same that's there. There, there, there's, There's a quote from Gore Vidal I have here, which says, he said this, he says, every time a friend succeeds, a little bit of me dies. And I wonder, as you look at the things that drive your life, you can see that as well. But look at Paul, verses 15 to 18. He starts, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can, sorry, not sincerity, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. See, what's happening to Paul is he is aware that when he's in prison, there are other people preaching to his churches. And some of them are probably his protégés. they are people going out there and they're preaching exactly the things that Paul would want to preached. To. He's thinking, hallelujah, that's brilliant. And others are probably going around and, and they're taking more money than Paul might have taken. And they're, they're not treating people as well as, as he thinks they should be treated. And we know that some of them are going around and they're saying things like, well, you know, I got what I taught from Peter. And Peter's a real apostle because he met Jesus. This Paul guy never did. And they're undermining him. And you can see there that there's a whole load of stuff that's just ripe for that rivalry and competition. You see the security in that it's not about my success is that Paul is able to say it doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. That's what matters to me. Is he being proclaimed? You know one of the the difficulties in churches sometimes is again the 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 people being spiritual can actually undermine us you know somebody comes and they share what God's doing in their life and here's the trouble if what we rejoice in is Christ then we will be felt uplifted by someone sharing what they're doing but very often in churches actually we are still playing the competitive game so when someone starts sharing how spiritual they are and what God is doing in their life I start to feel smaller Why is my prayer life not like that? Why is my Bible knowledge not like that? Why don't I feel I can do that? And so we feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And the reason for that is because we're still looking at me and what I do and how I'm seen. And my insecurities, rather than seeing my joy, is in the Lord Jesus. And as we go on in this passage, we'll see that Paul shows us what the Lord Jesus is like. He says the Lord Jesus had everything and humbled himself. His victory was in saying it doesn't matter about me what matters is serving the plan of the father the last freedom we can see here is the freedom from fear one of the troubles with all of the metrics of life is the fear that we lose it and ultimately that comes in the fear of death because death negates everything that we've strived to achieve Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He prays in verse 19, you know through the prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now it's quite evident that Paul isn't sitting there saying I hope I die because that'll be brilliant. He's not saying that at all. He's praying for deliverance. You see the thing here is what that probably means is that the prayers that the church is offering for him is that he will be free he'll go on and do more work for God and yet for him he says it's a win-win because it's Christ that's important and if he's glorified in my dying and going to be with him that's fine and if he's glorified in the fact that he's got more suffering ahead for me and more struggles ahead for me that I can build up the church more that's brilliant I cannot lose whatever happens now we don't know what happened to Paul this is one of the interesting things if this letter is written when he's in the Roman prison and there's a bit of doubt about that then we can pick it up from the book of Acts but the book of Acts stops with him in prison now we know that he died probably in a Roman prison but we don't know it was then he might have got out and done other things first we just don't know but Paul would say it doesn't matter what matters is that I live for Christ, and if I'm able to bless my friends and, and build up the churches, I do that. But the goal, ultimately, is simply that I am Christ's. And you know what? I can never, ever, ever lose that. One of the things that's notable about all of Paul's letters is his prayers. And here's the interesting thing. He's writing to churches that are often very poor spiritually. Not, not sorry, very poor materially. That are being persecuted in a hundred ways. They've got a, a Roman government that is unjust and unfair. All sorts of things are wrong. But Paul does not pray, may their circumstances change. May they get rich. May the government change. May it be much kinder to them. His prayer is always this, that they be stronger in Jesus. You see, you don't have any control over the circumstances, but if you are strong in Christ, then suddenly the circumstances matter an awful lot less because you cannot lose what you've been given, which is that you are his and he is yours. That he has loved you so much that he has sent his son, to die on a cross for you, that you are his for all eternity and that this world will be renewed in him. And therefore, you are totally and utterly secure. I always love the words of the 23rd Psalm. It's sung very often at funerals. Now the interesting thing is that it only makes one reference to what happens after we die and even that reference is a little bit vague where it says I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the last line. But the psalm talks of a man who knows what it is to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And he knows what it is to go through the good times and be by the the still waters and the, the green pastures. And he has found that God is always there. He was with me when it was tough, and he was with me when it was good, and he gave me the good things, and he was there with the tough things. And therefore, I have complete confidence that whatever happens, I will always be with him. And nothing Nothing, nothing can ever take that from me. There is true freedom. May we be renewed in knowing what God has done for us and may it grab us and excite us and fill us that we may be completely secure in him. Amen.